Well, I'm excited that you're able to join us today, whether you're with us in one of our three services on Sunday or whether you're gathering with us online. We're glad that you're here. Welcome. Today, we're going to continue a series. We're deep into this series now on My Teaching Sundays. This is part 14. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, We've been in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically uh, so far in chapters 5 and 6, and what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said that this passage Passage is really about God's value system in his kingdom. Last time we were in Matthew 6, where Jesus talks about, uh, again, he's kind of talking about our value system. Those verses where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we talked about money, uh, but we also talked about uh, bigger concept things like values and entitlement. And we said that we tend to assume that what we're pursuing has greater value than what we currently possess. And so we asked the question, what if we're overvaluing what we're pursuing? And the takeaway was this, that overvaluing the wrong things can lead us to overlook the best things. And again, since we've been um, working section by section through the Sermon on the Mount, it means next up in this is this section where, where Jesus talks about worry. And uh, as many of you know, and you might remember uh, last year, we spent six months talking about emotional health. And at the very end of that series in August and September, uh, we looked at these verses in Matthew 6. We took three Sundays to talk about uh, these verses in Matthew 6. And we talked about anxiety and worry and depression. And, and so since that was less than a year ago, today we're going to read these verses, but I'm really going to refer you back Uh, to that teaching in parts, I think it was 13, 14, and 15 of the Emotionally Healthy series back in August and September of last year. You can find those uh, in our podcast feed, and you can find them on the Messages tab at faithcommunityfellowship.com. And any time that we're teaching through a series, uh, if you miss any of the messages, I really encourage you to go back. Just fill in the gaps. You can watch on your computer uh, on the media player there on our website, or you can uh, listen. We recommend that you subscribe to our podcast. So let's read these verses in Matthew 6, uh, verse 25, and then we're going to see what's next. Words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I'm wondering how many of you grew up going to church regularly as a kid? Uh, you, you're, so you're the church people. And maybe you didn't grow up going to church, but you've been around long enough now that you're a church person and, and you know it because if you're a church person, you know who you are. 
The problem with being a church person, and this might help those of you who aren't church people to understand the rest of us. The problem with being a church person is that we learn somehow by kind of by default over time. And if we're not careful, we tend to become judgmental. I know, newsflash, right? And especially, depending on the kind of church tradition you grew up in, the kind of church experience maybe you've had as an adult, it's easy to think first about all the rules that everybody's supposed to keep. So church people, without ever meaning to, it's just easy to become judgmental. And if you haven't been around church for very long, you're probably thinking, you know, thank God, finally some church people who know what I'm feeling. Because maybe the reason you haven't been in church all along is because you have felt so judged by church people. Or when you come into church, you just feel like, I don't belong here. And if they knew what was going on in my life, they would, they would judge me and they would probably judge me right out the door. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it just seems to come with the, with the territory. It just seems like it's part of uh, being a church person that over time, left unchecked, you become judgmental. And the thing about judging others is that we are absolutely convinced that we are right. I mean, you see something in somebody and you think, you know, somebody needs to address that. Or you see something in our society or in culture and you think somebody needs to speak to that. Somebody needs to address that. Somebody needs to say something. So we're convinced we're right. And all the while in the back of our minds, there's this little recording that plays over and over. You shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge. And in fact, if you're a church person, you've probably had someone say to you, the Bible says, don't judge. I mean, somebody might have even said, Jesus said, don't judge. So we get lost in this dilemma because internally, I'm constantly forming opinions about people and what I see and what I experience with people. We've got this thing that we can't help but do, but we've got this thing that gets us into trouble sometimes. There are those of us who know what it's like to be judged, and that's a horrible place to be. And sometimes it's so subtle. Somebody looks at you, and you can't really put your finger on it, but there's something in the way they're looking at you, and you know they're judging you. They're judging the way you spend your money. They're judging the way, what you're wearing. They're judging you know, your hair or your tattoos, or they're judging something about you, just something about you. And it's like they just did like this little quick scan. You know, it's like mm, judgment complete. You know, they, they don't say anything, but they don't have to. You know what I'm talking about? It's just a horrible feeling. Maybe you've been judged for the way that you parent your kids, or you've been judged for the guy that you brought home, or you've been judged because you were out with your friends and you ordered a beer and no one else ordered a beer and that was awkward, and you've been judged for the way that you do marriage, and you've been judged for your relationship before you were married. Maybe you've been judged for a failed marriage or two. I'm telling you, one of the worst things about uh, being judged is you don't get to present your case, do you? I mean, you don't get to say, aha, I saw that look. I know what you're thinking. Let me explain. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me get you the whole picture. Because if you knew the whole story, you'd cut me a little slack. But we never get that opportunity when we're being judged. Maybe you've been in the situation where someone has come to you or uh, they've invited you out for coffee. And they come under the guise of wanting to help. Uh, they got your best interests in mind. And you realize they don't have my best interests in mind. They're just judging me. And now they're using the Bible or they're using a verse or two or they're using some overarching religious theme that they've latched onto to basically tell me that I should be more like them. The thing about being judged that's so weird uh, when somebody judges you, you never, ever, ever respond by saying, 
okay, I feel so little and so small compared to you. I think I'll change because I want to be more like you. Judging me doesn't change me. It doesn't make me want to be a better person. It definitely doesn't, want me, doesn't make me want to be more like you. It makes me run, want to run in the opposite direction. But the truth is, we've all sat in both chairs. We've been the judge and the jury, the ones with an opinion. Sometimes we say something. Most of the time, we just, you know, look at the other person and talk to our friends about them. You know, can you believe her? Can you believe him? Can you believe that? Now, I don't want to talk to them because I don't want to be judgmental, so I'll just talk to my friends, and then we're all collectively judging, and then it's hard to point a finger. You know, let's just pray for them. It's a prayer request. Most of us have been in both places, and here's why this is so important, and this is characteristically true. The, the Scripture addresses this confusion, and there's a lot of confusion on this one, because the Scripture says don't judge, but there are a lot of people whose behavior needs to be confronted, Right? Maybe you need to be confronted. But if I were to confront you about your sin, you might counter that with, but you're not supposed to judge me. So the reason that this is important is because this dynamic is so destructive in relationships. It can be so destructive between parents and children. It can be destructive in friendships. It can be destructive in the workplace. It can be destructive in your church experience. It can be destructive in our attempts to reach our unbelieving friends with the good news of Jesus because here's the thing, Christians just don't consistently get this right, uh, even, there, even though there's so much in the Scripture about it. And because Christians don't get this right, because the church doesn't get this right, there are elements in our society and even in our community that feel ostracized, that feel rejected by the church because they feel judged by the church. And the reason they feel judged by the church is because we've got the verses to prove that we're right. But the problem is, when you judge someone, they don't usually move in your direction. So the church has said, you need to stop this. This group needs to stop that. You're doing this wrong. You should be ashamed of yourself. You need to change, 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 change. But nobody's changing. They're running in the opposite direction, just like you do when you feel judged. So into all of this confusion about judging, Jesus speaks. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 is where we find this verse that says, do not judge. So it is in there. I, we haven't just made it up. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus introduces us into the conversation that we're going to join today about when do you judge? When don't you judge? What does that look like? How do you confront someone about their sin without being judgmental? Should we even do that? What is our responsibility? So Jesus introduces the topic, and he does it <coughs> excuse me, in his characteristic way. So if you're new to the Bible... Uh, when you read the words of Jesus, sometimes they're confusing, and here's why. Uh, because Jesus was a master communicator. He was, a, he was great about presenting a big, giant, confusing idea, and he would just let it sit there. And he would throw out these things that would just create tension in the conversation, things that made his disciples go, wait, what? What, did, what was that, Jesus? And so in this kind of passion, he creates all this tension, and then in the verses that follow, he begins to lead us in a, in a conversation about this whole subject of judging and being judgmental. Now, if you're with us today, either in person or online, and you're just coming back to church for the first time in a long time or maybe ever, 
And you said to yourself, or you said to the person who invited you, yes, I'll come, but you know, so help me. If anybody judges me, I am never coming back. Let me just say, first of all, we're glad that you're here. I want to apologize on behalf of Christians everywhere in churches. I just hope you'll forgive us and give us a second chance here. We're talking about this today because we're determined to get this right. Let me read these verses to you and we'll talk about, kind of talk our way through this. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Do not judge. So there it is. These are the words of Jesus. And if this is all that we had, you know, we, we could have this big discussion and we could have all of our ideas about what Jesus meant by that. But thankfully, he had more to say. Do not judge or you too will be judged. So already we're kind of questioning the text, right? It's like time out. Uh, we'll be judged by whom? By God? By the people we're judging? And Jesus never answers that question, so we don't really know, except that if you're the type of person who sets yourself up as a judge over others, be careful, because if you judge others, you will be judged in some way. Verse 2, for, so here's the explanation, in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. In the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So the amount or weight of judgment that the, the weight that you use, it will be applied to you. To which some of us are thinking, you know, but wait, wait, wait but, but we're right. Like, we know we're right. Somebody needs to talk to her. Somebody needs to confront him. I mean, the Bible says, and I got like four thou shalt nots. And so what about that, Jesus? Because like everybody knows like wearing a mask is the loving thing to do, Right? What I mean is those people following, uh, falling for the mask thing, they're just a bunch of mindless sheep, right? I mean, is that a little too close to home right now? And Jesus says, I want you to know, don't judge unless you go into this understanding that the way that you judge is the way that you'll be judged. Here's what Jesus is saying, and this becomes clearer later on. His point is not to never form an opinion about anybody or about their behavior. His point is not that there aren't people in your life who need to be confronted about their sin. This is Jesus' way of saying, I want you to apply what you call the golden rule, in which we find just a few verses later in this chapter. Apply that to your judgment. I want you to judge others as you would want them to judge you. This is so powerful. I want you to judge others the way you want your heavenly father to judge you. If you knew it's coming back to you, coming back in your direction, how would you judge the people around you? Well, I know how I want others to judge me. I, I know how I want God to judge me. When God judges me, I want him to take everything into consideration. You know, things like how I was raised, what I had, what I didn't have, what I was exposed to, what I was sheltered from, what happened to me, my family of origin, my personality type. In other words, when you judge me, I want you to take everything into consideration. I mean, don't you? And, and, and God, if you'll just let me talk long enough, Jesus is probably going to come over and put his arm around me and say, Todd, you never told me that. That changes everything. In fact, we don't, hey everybody, we don't need to judge this guy at all. It's, it's amazing you're as good as you are, you know. So come on in, no big deal. Isn't that how we want to be judged? And for the people who judge me, I want them to judge me in light of the things that they don't know. So it'd be like, well, that's kind of a big deal, but he's got these issues and there are probably some things we don't know. There's probably another side to the story. There are probably issues we haven't factored in. So let's not be too hard on him because we don't know the whole story. That's how I want to be judged. So God says, okay, I can work with that. 
since I know everything, I know the whole story. So when you get all bent out of shape about, you know, what he or she is doing or not doing, just remember that the way that we judge will come back to us. And then as Jesus is sitting there going, um, uh, I, think the, I think his audience is going, wait, can, can you just stop right there? Can you slow down a little bit, Jesus? Can you just slow down here? So Jesus says, let me make it uh, even clearer. Let me go to the point I want to make. And we've heard this before, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? In other words, why do you even care? So this person has something in their eye, which is a symbolic way of saying they have a problem. So that person does have a problem. So, so oh, I wasn't completely wrong then. No, no, you weren't completely wrong. They have an issue that needs to be addressed. But before you judge them, ask yourself, why do you even care? Why do you feel like you need to form an opinion about the issue in that person's life? What is it in us that drives us to constantly form an opinion, to constantly judge other people? Uh, Jesus is so brilliant. His teaching was just so brilliant here. He says, perhaps there's more to this issue than their problem. Middle of verse 3. At the same time, he says, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How do you do that? Why am I so motivated to look at their problem and not my own? Jesus says, why are you so interested in the sawdust in their eye while you're ignoring the plank in your own eye? I'm telling you, this is transformational if you'll let it settle in to every part of your life. Here's what Jesus is beginning to hint at. That when I see something in you that bothers me, I need first to look in the mirror. That when I see something in you that causes me to want to go down the road of judging you, form an opinion about you, write you off, talk talk to other people about you, as soon as I feel that, that should trigger in me a response that says, huh, I wonder what God wants to deal with in my life. Listen to this, verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. And if your response is, wait a minute, I don't have a plank in my eye. I mean, they've got major stuff going, major sin, major immorality. Well, they got some stuff going on there. Jesus is like, hello. Look, in those moments where you're so sure that the issue is all theirs, in those moments when the self-righteousness in you rises up, where all of a sudden you're able to quote like nine of the 10 commandments and you feel so justified in this. He says, in that moment, I want you to just pause because whatever you see in them is probably an indicator of something in you. Now, when you hear me say that, if there's something in you that rises up and like, okay, Todd, if the whole point of this is, you know, you were supposed to ignore all the bad in the world and all the sin in our society and all the sin in the church and just decide that it's, you know, it's all about me and my issues and forget that I'm not interested. Well, if you're thinking that, uh, for, kind of chill out because that's not uh, where we're going. Jesus is saying that our first response ought not to be to go after the speck in their eye, but to immediately turn, look in the mirror and say, what is it about them and their issues, their sin, their behavior, their choices that is making me so interested? Why do I care so much? And what is going on in my life that I ought to address first? If that could become our first response to the sin that we see in other people, we would be better off and they would be better off. 
So now he says something really, really strong. Verse 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite. (laughs) You hypocrite. Do you know what a hypocrite is in this context? A hypocrite is a person who judges someone else without first looking in the mirror. A hypocrite is someone who sees something in someone else, something that needs to be addressed in their life, and goes for that before they address an issue in their own life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not denying that there's a speck. I'm not denying that there's a problem here. I'm not denying something should be said. I'm not denying any of that. I'm saying your first response needs to be to look in the mirror as opposed to judging or trying to change someone else. And Jesus, I think, is saying to us, if you're too insecure to do that, if you're too self-righteous to do that, if you're too proud to do that, if you're too confident in your position to do that, then Jesus says, ready? You're a hypocrite. A few years ago, the Barna Group studied how the church is perceived by people outside the church. And among the top five perceptions that their research identified was that people outside the church see us as hypocrites. And you can't argue with the data that is a perception, and we've earned that perception. Like, why do people outside the church see us as hypocrites? Could it be that they have seen an unwillingness on our part to deal with a plank in our own eyes? And we justify our position by saying, well, God doesn't approve of that kind of behavior. And we're exactly right. But because we don't look in the mirror first, we lose our credibility. We lose our leverage. We lose our influence with the people that Jesus has called us to reach. So listen to how he finishes this. This is so powerful. Verse 5. You hypocrite. First. Now, why do you think he says first? Because there's more to follow. First, take the plank out of your own eye. So when something about you irritates me, chances are I have an issue. That doesn't take away from the truth that maybe somebody needs to confront you about your sin. When something in your behavior, in your choices is really bothering me, chances are I have something in my eye and I can't see clearly to help you until I do something about the plank in my own eye. When there's something about a situation, about a person, about a relationship, uh, whatever it is, that you're convinced something needs to be said, I got to insert myself here, something needs to be done, Jesus would say, okay, that's great. Uh, First, send them an email? No. First, send them a text? Uh Uh-uh. First, post something on Facebook? No, please no. First, call them, confront them, throw the book at them? No. He would say, what's first? First, look in the mirror. What Jesus is teaching us is that our first response to sin in someone else's life, to poor choices in someone else's life, to destructive patterns in someone else's life, our first response should be that when I see something in you that needs to be addressed, I first need to look in the mirror and say, God, what do I see in them that you see in me? And Jesus isn't saying the things you see in someone else don't need to be addressed. He's saying, first look in the mirror. So look at the rest of the verse, verse 5. And then you will see clearly. Why do we need to see clearly, Jesus? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, so there is something wrong with them. Not saying there isn't something there that needs to be addressed. I'm not saying that they're okay. I'm not saying that their sin isn't any big deal. I'm just as concerned as you are. And I think Jesus would say, you just need to be prepared to have the kind of conversation that doesn't push them further into their behavior and further away from me. 
And the only way to do that is to first remove the plank from your own eye and then only then will we see clearly enough to be able to actually do this person some good. When I come to terms with my own sin, I become better qualified to talk with someone else about theirs. The fact that your first response to the sin of others isn't to look at them, but to look in the mirror and say, God, is there something in me that I would prefer to minimize, to rationalize, to hide away by bringing attention to their sin? When you and I are willing to do that, when you and I are willing to have an honest conversation with God, then you and I become the right person to talk to them about the speck of sawdust in their eye. But until we do that, you and I may very well drive them deeper into their sinful behavior and potentially further away from their loving Heavenly Father. So here's what we're saying. When I'm tempted to, to pass judgment on you, I need to stop, look in the mirror, and see if there's a trace of something in me that ought to be addressed. Let me tell you how you find that trace. Pay attention to the specific emotion that someone else's sin elicits in you. Pay attention to the specific emotion that their sin elicits in you. Does their sin make you angry? That, that anger is your issue, not theirs. Does their sin or their lifestyle or their choices, or the way they do relationships, does it make you jealous? What does that look like? Until you strip away the jealousy, you aren't the candidate to help him or her. Why does this sin make you feel the thing you're feeling? Like, why does it make you angry? Well, it makes, if it makes God angry, then it makes me angry. Oh, really? I mean, if someone, if someone else's sin makes you angry, um, you probably need to look in the mirror and say, God, what is it, is it in me that their sin, why is their sin such a big deal to me? Sometimes, sometimes, someone else's sin is threatening to us. And in our threatened mode, we say something, we preach something, we write something, we post something because we're so self-justified. But when we look in the mirror, we realize that their sin threatens us. That's your issue. That's your plank. That's my issue, my plank. It's our issue. That's something that we got to deal with because until we deal with our fear, we're just going to judge people and we're going to drive them away. So first line of response, God, why do I feel what I feel? Why am I responding to their sin this way? Why is it just driving me crazy? Why does it even matter to me? What do you do when you're just so mad and this other person just... It isn't that big a deal to them and you're quoting verses and like chapters of the Bible and you're just posting inspirational quotes on their Facebook and you believe a lot of the same stuff and they might even come to church with you but this other person doesn't share your emotion about the situation. Perhaps that's your plank. And maybe you need to stare long and hard into the mirror, spend some time in silence with the Holy Spirit until you're finally able to see what God sees in your life. And when you see it, you deal with it, then you become a better candidate to speak to the sin in someone else's life. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids make you so mad, and you are exactly right when you, in, you know, in what you see, but in terms of your response, sometimes you are exactly wrong even when you are right. 
and you drive your kids further into their behavior and further away from you, the parent, because you've yet to deal with the plank in your own eye. So there's another part of this lesson, and it's this. If you're the one who's being judged, and you keep throwing out, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge me. Don't be so judgmental. Jesus said don't judge. Can we just take a deep breath here? I want to create a new category. Perhaps, perhaps one of the people who wrote you an email, who called you, who had a really awkward confrontational conversation with you, perhaps one of the people who tried to point out the speck in your eye, perhaps one of them is not coming to judge you. Perhaps they're coming because they've been exactly where you are, and so they know exactly where you're headed, and they love you too much to ignore that. It's possible that there is that kind of person in your life. And if you continue to throw up the smoke screen of, don't judge me, don't judge me, the Bible says don't judge me, you may never learn because you won't humble yourself and you'll never listen and you'll never grow beyond maybe where you are right now because you're hiding behind a concept that is not even in the scripture. It's not a part of Christianity. It's not what Jesus taught about life in his kingdom. It's something that you've used out of context to shield yourself from truth that God wants you to see. And you haven't been able to hear it through the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So God has sent someone in flesh and blood to say, you've got to look in the mirror as well. I think one of the worst things you could do is to just blow off everyone who's ever confronted you, who's ever brought truth into your life because you're convinced the Bible says we're not supposed to judge, so I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to take it from him or from her for sure. But what Jesus says is we are supposed to help one another get the speck out of each other's eyes, and we do that after we've prepared ourselves by first looking in the mirror. See, as generally is the case with Jesus' teachings, there's something here for all of us. If you're a person who's on the run, would you at least be open to the idea that God may have already sent someone, or maybe he's preparing to send someone into your life to confront you, to bring truth to you? Would you be open to that? If you're a church person, you've been a Christian for a long time, you know the scripture inside out, and you're generally right, and you very easily slip into being judgmental, would you ask God to help you develop as a first line of response instead of looking across the room at someone else's sin, at the speck of dust in someone else's eye, instead of going there first, would you go to the mirror and say, God, what is it in me that bothers you? That before I judge you, that I would invite the Holy Spirit to show me the sin in my own life, the plank. And if that becomes our first response, to sin in the life of someone else, Imagine this. Imagine churches for whom that becomes our first line of response. Then we would be perfectly positioned in someone else's life to really help them out, to help them avoid the sin that we see is taking them down a path that will lead them away from their Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the teaching of Jesus. Thank you for these passage, this passage that we know is a Sermon on the Mount, so rich, so full of upside-down, inside-out teaching about the kingdom of God. Lord, what we want to be is to be uh, champions of your kingdom. We want to live our lives in a way that reflect the kingdom values of Jesus, and this is a hard one. God, I pray that you would uh, just, through the light of your Holy Spirit, uh, 
illuminate the dark corners of our lives, that we may be willing to come out of the shadows and to look into the mirror and let your Holy Spirit show us what you see. God, I pray that we would first come to you in honesty, in humility, with an openness, so that we can then be instruments of grace in the lives of others. And we thank you in Jesus' name.